Okay, we're off and running. This is good. Um, so we're up to Numbers chapter 22. Uh, if you grew up in the church, uh, you know we're about to get to the favorite story of the talk, talking donkey. Right? In fact, I saw the, uh, the children's worship bulletin this week had the picture of the talking donkey on it. Right? I'm not talking about Shrek, right? I'm talking about the one that's, the one that's, uh, she, it actually has a female voice in this story. Um, uh, uh, in, in, in this uh, text. We're not going to get to that today. We'll get to it tomorrow. Um, or to, not tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. Uh, you'll get to it next Sunday. Um, but the, uh, uh, the thing to note about this is, uh, this is a pretty profound uh, picture here in Numbers chapter 22 of uh, uh, the way God works in our lives. And... Uh, um, I think it, it has much to say, particularly uh, to uh, this uh, modern, competent um, group of people. So as we look here this morning at, at Numbers chapter 22, verses 1 through uh, 21, um, I hope you will uh, see and hear uh, God speaking uh, through his word to us this morning. Uh, Numbers 22, verses 1 through 21. The text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in, in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian uh, departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Uh, And that should have been enough. That should have been enough. Look at look who's staying with you. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, behold, a people has come out of Egypt and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. 
But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. So if, you, if you're familiar with this story at all, one of the things that you, you tend to expect when you read this is, is Balaam a good guy or a bad guy? You know, he seems to obey God and then he doesn't seem to do it and all of that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people that want to want to talk about that kind of stuff. We're not going to talk about that uh, because it didn't really matter, frankly. And that's the point of the passage. Uh, one of the things that I think happens to us is, you know, the Bible becomes this kind of textbook of morals for us. And there's plenty of, of uh, things in the Bible to tell us what God expects of us. But in, in, this, uh, in, in this particular text, there's something more dynamic and bigger than that that's going on. And so we need to, we need to think about that uh, today because <clears throat> this is something that uh, I think this text speaks very directly to the way uh, most of us uh, live our lives, and most of us view uh, the work of God in our lives. So Scott, put, put my notes up there. So the first thing you have to note about this, this text is, where are the people? Well, the scripture tells us they're in the plains of Moab, and that's important, because they're on the plains of Moab with inside of the promised land, literally from where they are, they can see the Jordan River, and they can see across the river, they can see their destination. It's taken well over 36, 37, 38 years for them to get there, and they're almost there. The, you know, when we, uh, when we say, sing that song at the end of worship services, sometimes we're bound for the promised land. Well, they're right there. It's, it's within sight. They can see it. And so kind of the culmination of all these things that God has been doing for, for hundreds, literally a thousand years is about to come to, to, uh, 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 into fruition right here. Now, they're going to be camped here for a while. Uh, in fact, the whole of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, they're right there. They're right there as they're kind of their, their last kind of staging before they go across the river uh, uh, in, uh, to, to Moab. So they're going to be there a while. So what, what are they doing? Well, they're camping. They're camping. Now, what do you do when you camp? What's your concern? Um, I, I love to camp. I really do. Uh, I married someone who grew up camping. That's what they did on, on vacation. And, and she has a different opinion of camping. <laughs> so I used to say, you know, let's take the kids for vacation. Let's go camping. She's like, yeah, that sounds like a vacation to me. So you're going to take me. And I'm going to have to do all the things that I have to do every day anyway in a place that's dirtier, colder, nastier, and harder than it is here in our own house. That sounds awesome to me. And I'm like, yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> I'll go play with the kids and, and you figure out, you know, how to keep the trash out of the stew tonight, right? So... So the, the, the fact is, you know, what do you do when you camp? Well, one of the things you do every day when you camp is you get up and you go get firewood. What do you do with that firewood? You burn it. So what do you got to do the next day? 
got to go get more firewood. And what do you do with that firewood? You burn it. What do you got to do the next day? Get some firewood. What are you going to do with it? You're going to burn it, right? Does that sound like you're camping? Does that sound like your life? Does that sound like where you live? I get up and I spend the majority of my day on things that are burned up. Or it certainly feels like they're burned up. And so, because I got to go and do it again the next day. I'm camping. Sounds significant, doesn't it? Sounds like those lives have a lot of significance. Sounds like those lives are really important. Not for me. That's not my life. I am going to find significance. I'm going to have impact. What I'm doing matters. Not just camping. So let me find something better for which to give myself to. Right? Well, here's the thing. For the next several weeks, as we look at this text, the people are camping. That's all they're doing. They're camping. That's it. And the most important uh, and the most dramatic and the most profound conflict imaginable is occurring, and they don't even know it. It's not unlike... Jesus in the garden, struggling to figure out, struggling with his father, crying out, you know, if there's any way for the redemption of this people to be accomplished without me having to do this, then you do it. Let's find a way out of this, but not my will, but yours. What are his people doing while he's doing that? They're right there with him, right? They're cheering him on. They're drooling over here asleep. What matters the most in the whole of history is going on just a few steps away from them. And what are they doing? Taking a nap. Because they're tired. Tired. Right? The good news in that is that Jesus does. And the good news in the text that we'll see today is that God is at work. So, so frankly, as we look at this text and as we, as we unpack it, the people of God, the, the, the center of attention, uh, the thing that God has been most focused upon and, and the fact that he is trying to get these people, uh, to the promised land, they're not even aware of what's happening. Now, now there's, there's this unseen battle raging between the king of Moab and the Midianites and, and this guy Balaam. Now, now, let me just say something right, right here now, because as we read this text and we get to talking donkeys and we get to those kinds of things, you're going to, there's a temptation because we are so sophisticated to think, oh, that's all made up. Well, uh, you can pick up archaeological journals, scholarly ones, and you can read, uh, about the evidence. For a man who lived in this part of the world during this period of history named Balaam, who was a powerful political and religious figure. So, so if you think, oh, this is just made up, donkeys don't talk to me, uh, then the fact is you need to think a little harder about that because the fact of the matter is, uh, there's, uh, there's, 
there's probably more evidence that there was a man named Balaam than there will be uh, 200 years from now that there was a man named Steve Shelby. Okay, so let's you know as we as we unpack this, let's 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 keep that uh, let's keep that in mind and uh, think think a bit about this. So there's this unseen battle raging in the hills above them, and they're blissfully unaware. In fact. Uh, up, up in the hills, as we'll see next week, uh, Balaam is doing his thing and he's doing his sacrifices and the smoke is rising from the altars. These people down there that are camping can probably see the smoke off in the distance uh, and uh, uh, this offering, this thing that, that Balaam's doing. And you know what? They have no clue that it has anything at all uh, to do with them. Secondly, the other thing that you need to note about this is, is that Balak, the king of Moab, is afraid. That means he makes that very clear, that he is terrified because he looks out on his border and he sees all of these Israelites and he's heard about what they've done to the Amorite kings, Sion and Og, and he thinks, oh no, what's going to happen to me? There's too many of them. I need an edge. I need a weapon. A weapon of mass destruction, a weapon that will will guarantee the fact that even though they numerically are superior to us, we have this weapon, we have this thing that will guarantee their demise. And so he is scrapping around for anything that he can find uh, to do that. Now, now the, the the fact of the matter is, there's a there's an important lesson for us in this right here, right now, today, and that's that's this. The, the, in the world, uh, people should always be afraid of leaders who are afraid. We should be aware of them. We should be careful of them. We should be, be concerned uh, because historically, when we read about uh, great leaders, kings, uh, when they become afraid, they do terrible things. Remember, Pharaoh looks out of his window and he remembers that only 400 of uh, Jacob and his crew came to uh, Egypt. And he looks out there and he sees them. And all of a sudden he realizes, wow, there's getting to be a lot of them. They're a threat. I got to do something about it. Kill all the boys. Herod hears about these wise men that come to Jerusalem and the whole city is stirred as as a result of them coming there. And he says where the, the, the wise men say they're looking for the one who's born king of the Jews. And, and Herod's like, oh, no, I'm afraid there's a threat. What am I going to do? Kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the area around that. So so the, the the thing is what when we when we read that, we think, well, that's a really, really, really terrible thing. Right. So, so Balak is seeking a weapon of mass destruction. And we hear that and we think, this seems so quaint and so silly that he's going to go get this guy who, who if you give him the right amount of money can, you know, do whatever it is he does and come up with some sort of statement from the God or gods and, and that that will shape and impact what happens in time and in space. You see, the, the thing that we miss about that is, and the, the thing that is so key for us to understand about this is, is that the blessing of God, when God says to Balaam, these pe- you can't curse these people because they are blessed, that is the definitive word from God about who these people are. And so this is such a powerful thing. So, so no matter what Balak tries to do, no matter whatever he tries to come up with, the God has already determined that they're blessed. Now, now think about this for a second. How blessed are they? 
Were they blessed when the snakes were biting them? Were they blessed when the ground opened up and swallowed them? Were were they blessed when the plague came? Yes, they were blessed because they're God's people. He has redeemed them. They belong to him, right? So, So the fact is, one of the things that we have to see that's happening here, the, the thing that Balaam wants to do is ultimately more destructive than anything that Pharaoh or Herod would have ever wanted to do, right? Because unlike Pharaoh and Herod, what is happening here is far more significant. It, it involves destruction in a manner that we could never recover from. Uh, it, it, you, you, I know you're hearing that, and I know you're thinking that that uh, that that just can't uh, that it just doesn't make any sense. But you see, Balak wants to use Balaam to take away the people of God's only real and true treasure. He wants to remove the only thing that makes them distinctive. I am here to tell you this morning. Whatever else you may think about your life, and I know a lot of you are smart and rich and good-looking, and and the reason why I know that is because you tell me. (laughs) What? We don't brag about ourselves. Oh, yes, you do. All the time. You ever had felt jealousy about what that person you went to high school with and you haven't seen in 15 years had for dinner last night because they made it look so good on Instagram or Facebook. They were bragging, weren't they? I like, you know, curate your life. Put your best life out there. Make your friends and family jealous. Because well, I think it's funny the kind of the the weird kind of combination of things that goes on there with that, right? Because the you know this this actually helps us understand a little bit here. Because you know unless God posts this uh, uh, thing that's going on between Balaam and Balak on his Facebook page, the people down there on the plains of Moab don't even know what's going on, right? It's funny how that. That works for us. Um, but the truth is, you know, what, what's happening here and what's, what's going on is, is that God's real uh, and true treasure, the only thing that uh, really makes these people distinctive uh, is the blessing of God. you got a lot of treasure. A lot but you've only got one that's real and eternal and that in the end is a matter of life and death for you. And that's the blessing of God, that God has determined in his mercy and grace to include you in his mercy and grace in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. There is, that's your real treasure, and that is the thing that makes you distinctive And that is the thing that gives you blessing. Now, I'm going to say this like five or six more times before we're done here this morning because, uh, uh, you know, repetition is important because people don't hear things and they certainly don't believe things uh, uh, very easily. I am here to tell you this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, 
the definitive word of God to you today is you are blessed. Do you have cancer? You're blessed. Are you lonely? You're blessed. Are you infertile? You're blessed. Now that sounds stupid and ridiculous and in fact cruel, harsh, and cold. But the fact of the matter is, uh, and what makes this text so profound for us today is, is that the blessing of God to us in Jesus Christ is, is the ultimate thing that makes life worth living and the only thing that ultimately makes it, uh, is, is, is the whole reason why we exist. Now, I, and I know that that sounds, that sounds pretty pretty crazy and pretty troubling. And there's a lot of great things in life and there are a lot of great and wonderful things and a lot of things that we, you know, we should enjoy out of the mercy and the love of God to us. But I'm here to tell you today, don't confuse those things with the only real treasure that you have in your life. And that is the blessing of God because God has blessed you. Because the fact is you can have a a great ice cream cone and that's about what it's like. That is beautiful and wonderful and tastes good and refreshing. And then it's gone. Enjoy it. But don't confuse the ice cream cones of life with the true treasure. The one thing that makes us distinctive. So from the very beginning, Israel has existed for one reason. Remember, back in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls their ancestor Abram, this is what he said. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is why they exist. Let me be clearer about this, okay? Let's say for some, and, and let's play out this scenario. Let's say that, that what in whatever calculus that goes on here, Balak is, is successful in buying from Balaam a curse. And the people of God become cursed. And let's say, because there's still so many, hundreds of thousands of them, they go and they defeat Moab. And let's say that that they get across the Jordan River and they defeat Jericho. And let's say that they go on and they, they, they conquer the promised land and they settle there. Let's say all of that. But the fact is, you can win every single battle in your life and lose the war. Because the only thing that matters ultimately for these people, the reason why they are where they are, is that God has said, through you, I will bless you, and through you, you will bless the world. Because Jesus Christ is going to come out of the cradle that is these people to be the Redeemer. And without that, all of these other battles, all of these other riches, all of the other things that happen to us, don't really in the in in the final analysis are are not our real treasure and we would be tempted all the time to confuse while we are camping and we're having a good day camping that that is the the, the ultimate when what's really really matters 
is this thing that God is doing in blessing us in Jesus Christ that seems sometimes so alien to us and seems so far away from us, right? Now, uh, here's the thing that you have to see about that is I, I know many of us today don't believe we're blessed. And the reason why we don't, there's, then there's multiple reasons why we don't believe that. Uh, because we, uh, and, and please, you know, if, if, well, I'm just going to say it. Listen, the reason why we think we're blessed or we're not blessed is because we carry around in our brain a calculus. You hear it all the time. When I look at so-and-so, I know I'm blessed. Right? And that's good. That's good as far as it goes. You know, that's, that's fine. Uh, but the fact is, fortunately in this text and in the way in God's economy, he doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm going to bless you comparatively. Right? His final word in this is, you're blessed because you belong to me. Because even though you're not even aware of it, because you're camping and you're getting the firewood, I am at work to see to it that the full redemption that Jesus Christ died to give you is going to come to fruition in your life. And so, so in, in the midst of this, this is, this is what's happening. You are blessed if you're in Christ. I can say that. And I can say that even as you may be lamenting and struggling with difficulty. But the fact is, that is who you are. And that is what God has done. It's hard for you to believe that because you, you, you carry around some sort of, uh, uh, calculus where you look, well, I'm more blessed than those people are, but when it's compared to those people, I'm cursed. Look at their life. They're rich, good looking, smart. Their kids are always so well behaved. That, that, Woman, that man always seems to have a date or somebody really great on their arm. And, and look at those people. You know, they, they just produce babies right and left like it's no big deal. And, and I can't seem to do it. I mean, we look at that and we carry around this kind of comparison. And because our camping experience is different from someone else's camping experience, it nullifies the blessing of God. But nothing could be further from the truth. God is determined because if you belong to him, you are in Christ today. I can say, regardless of how difficult things may be for you, challenging, strange, hard, whatever, you're blessed. Now, this is the thing that is so so hard and so challenging for us, isn't it? Um, and I think... The fact that we don't believe that we're blessed is what helps, is what keeps us from fulfilling the other part of what God says there is that you'll be a blessing. Hard to bless other people when you're convinced that you're cursed. So a word about the direction of this narrative. Now, um, one of the things that I want to tell you about this text is that there's a, there's a lot of laughter in this text. There's a lot of things to laugh at. And, and, and the way this was recorded and the way it is written here is, is intended for, to make us laugh. For instance, you didn't laugh when I read this to you because, I don't know, maybe you think it's, you're not supposed to laugh in church or maybe you think, 
I don't know what you think, but um, this is funny. You know, so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? That's funny. And the reason why that's funny is because do you think God knows who they are? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When God shows up and says, who is this staying with you? He's not just saying, uh, go pull the, you know, the card out of the Rolodex with their address and the license plate of their car so we can get an identity on these people. He's saying, hey, Balaam, look who's at your house. This is not right. You don't need to ask anything else. Who are these people? Right? Next week, we're going to see a, a, a donkey that's really funny. And we're going to see all kinds of crazy things happening on this way to this man to, to do this. Well, the reason why that's important is, and I want you to understand this. Please don't let your eyes roll back in your head as we talk about something that's a little academic here. And that this story is a comedy. Now, that's a dangerous word to use. Because most of you, when I say comedy, you think of a 22-and-a-half-minute show that comes on between 8 and 10, Monday through Friday nights, uh, that's got seven-and-a-half minutes of commercials, and it is a soul-destroying, culture-eroding thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think, anyway. <laughs> okay? And that seems like, you know, something that, that, you know, that, that seems like comedy to us. In the classical sense, comedy, uh, is a story full of tragedy that ends in redemption and ultimately joy and laughter. Life's a comedy if you're in Christ. A lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty, a lot of challenge. But we laugh, we have joy, because in the end, the redemption of God comes to full uh, fruition for us. So, so, the, so, the, so the thing that you have to see about this is, that's what's going to happen in this story. The, the laughter that's here and the work of God that's here is a picture to us of what life really is, is like. Because the truth is, you, you, could, you could walk through this life, you can collect all the toys... You can have the impressive resume and you can do all those things. And in the end, in the end, the issue that matters is do you belong to this one who blesses, who has declared unequivocally that he has blessed you in the work and person of Jesus Christ? so hard to believe that, isn't it? 